The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, and Earl and Frito White are going to be reading that for us on video. Good morning. This morning we're going to be reading from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Verse 1. And we're going to be reading this morning from the New Living Translation. Greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 5 through to 7. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Amen. And amen to that. Thank you, Earl and Frida, for reading that scripture to us. And uh, let me begin this morning by uh, just wishing you a very blessed new year uh, from Pat and I and uh, the staff here at White Ridge Baptist Church. And uh, as we anticipate what God will do in 2021, my prayer is that we will, we will grip onto God. We will boldly press into him and grab hold of all the plans that he has for us in this coming year. Um, thinking about the, the wisdom that we'll need in order to live the life that God has for us. In uh, Psalm 90 verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, that wisdom is proven by her deeds. And so as we think about that, uh, may we live well in 2021. May Jesus find us faithful And may we be used to extend his will and his kingdom on earth, even as it is in heaven. I want to uh, take some time to pray, and before we do so, I I do want to include uh, this gentleman in our prayers this morning. I appreciate how Kevin has prayed for some of those in our church family who have experienced loss. But this is Bruce Cleminger, the director of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, And some of you might have known that uh, yesterday we received a a bulletin that he's had COVID for some time. And uh, the family, Tracy and his his wife and family, are asking 
specifically for prayer in these next 24 to 48 hours as he is, uh, is in a critical stage right now. And of course, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada is an important organization in Canada, and we as a church are a member of that organization, and uh, we, uh, we depend on them to, to go to Parliament for us, for example, to uphold the Christian moral values of our faith in, in uh, laws of the land. I think of right now I'm following Bill C-6, which has to do with uh, the banning of conversion therapy, which has all kinds of ramifications, or Bill C-7, which is loosening the, the rules on, on assisted dying. And so uh, this is an important organization. Let's uh, be praying for Bruce Clemenger that God will bring him through this COVID-19 uh, and virus and back to health. And, and as we begin the series on the book of Romans today, also I would just ask you to uh, pray with me as we launch into this wonderful book. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we get to be together in this way. Uh, and we look forward to the, the coming year when we can be together in real person, oh God. Please bring that about speedily, we ask. And Father, we pray that you would uh, be glorified. Would you be glorified, Lord, in, in the way we live our lives in this coming year, in 2021. May, may this be a year when we take some of the land that we've left untaken to use the metaphor of Israel in the promised land. We, we pray that this will be a year when we enter into some of the promises of God that we have left dormant and not, not uh, entered into the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. We pray that you might use us as a witnessing people to extend your kingdom on earth, to touch other people's lives. <clears throat> and Father, uh, <laughs> we pray that it will be, be a year when when we overcome some of the, the, the hang-ups and the problems and the sins that harass us, oh Lord, it'll be a year when we see victory. Father, we want to pray for Bruce Clemenger right now, and we pray for others who have COVID-19, that you will raise them up, you will strengthen their bodies, and Lord, that you will see fit to give Bruce more time leading EDFC in our country. We commit to you this sermon series, Lord, <clears throat> that... As we, we go through all of the series, Lord, you would, you would lead us by the hand and uh, take us into the deeper places of the mercies of God and the incredible design of salvation that you have purchased for us through Christ. We ask all this for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to get into the book of Romans, and um, I'm going to ask you to uh, just take a moment to look at the entire series with me. And... Um, we're going to do this in, in four parts. Um, the last time I actually preached through the book of Romans was 29 years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was in uh, Thunder Bay at uh, First Baptist Church. A big shout out to Ken and Ellen Cullis, by the way. I uh, just heard from them. And um, yeah, I have, that was before I owned a computer, and so I found a few notes from those days, but really been enjoying a new study in the book of Romans. We're going to deal with it in four sections. And you'll notice in the slide that we have here four logos that deal with the four sections of what we're going to be looking at. Chapters 1 to 4, which will be from now until Easter, we will study 
this case for the Christian faith that Paul the Apostle is making. And then you'll see the gavel there as a, as a, a case, a courtroom case symbol. Then in uh, Easter to the summer, we're going to chap- study chapters 5 to 8, <clears throat> where Paul opens up and he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks, starts to talk about walking in the new life of faith in chapters 5 to 8. We're going to take a break during the summer. We're going to study men and women of prayer in the Bible for the whole summer time. And then back in September, we're going to be getting back to Romans until Christmas when we will be studying chapters 9 to 11, and this incredible portion of Scripture where you'll notice on the logo here, we have the Star of David with the cross in the middle. And this is a picture of how it is that Jews and Gentiles are going to be united in faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, it's an incredible passage of Scripture. It's controversial. Uh, some are way different ways of interpreting it, but I, I just in, I mean, admire Paul. He starts in chapter 9 by saying, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish myself were accursed for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, Israel. I don't know if I have that kind of love for people that I could wish myself accursed in order that someone else would come into eternal life in salvation through Christ. Incredible portion of Scripture. And then one year from now, in January 2022, we will finish the last portion of the book of Romans when we study chapters 12 to 16, which has to do with living a transformed life by faith. Paul begins that section in chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And, and then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word metamorphosis, transformed. How do we live this transformed life? You'll notice in this series that a key word, a common word, is faith in each of these And uh, in fact, that is a key word in the theme verse of the book of Romans that we're going to remember at the back of our minds during this entire series. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as as written, the righteous, the just, shall live by faith. And that verse indeed seems to give the hallmark verse for the book of Romans. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans in A.D. 57 or 58, probably when he was on his third missionary journey. He was in Corinth at the time. And it it seems that he wrote this letter of Romans to strengthen the believers in Jesus Christ, to encourage them in their faith. In verse 11 of chapter 1, it says that he was longing to see them, that he could impart some spiritual gift, that he might strengthen them and establish them in the faith. And then he says that they might be mutually encouraged in the faith. I I would call that fellowship. When, When we can get together or connect with each other and mutually encourage each other in the faith, that is what fellowship is all about. And we Christians have the opportunity to do that on the phone and and on Zoom and and in walks in the park and all kinds of ways, even during these difficult days. Now, Paul did not plant the church in Rome, neither did he have uh, 
any of the important big apostles and teachers uh, plant that church. He had not even met most of the people in Rome. He had been longing to go to Rome, and of course we know that because of the way the book of Acts ends, we know that he, he eventually gets to Rome, but not as he planned, but rather as a prisoner under house arrest. And, and uh, through that imprisonment, God was able to share the good news through Paul, through many people, even the soldiers that he was uh, chained to in the prison, all the way up the ladder to some who are saints in Caesar's household <clears throat> that became Christians because of Paul. And it's interesting because Paul had plans for his life to go to Rome in a certain way as an evangelist, but God had other plans and he went as a prisoner. And God accomplished his will through Paul. And it's interesting, I think wisdom, wisdom is knowing the difference between your plans and God's plans as life unfolds. Wisdom is knowing the difference and then recognizing that God knows better and you can trust him explicitly. Paul's a good example of that in the way he lived his life. At the time of receiving the letter from Paul, the church in Rome had no New Testament literature. Uh, they had no apostolic visits. They had no person like Peter, Paul, or James from the church in Jerusalem that had visited the church in Rome. In fact, the church in Rome had probably been planted by simple followers of Jesus Christ. Some of them might have come to know Jesus on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem as they were visiting. Some of them, of course, that we know Priscilla and Aquila, met Paul in a former missionary journey, and, and so they were there, perhaps, in the church in Rome. But whatever we know about the church in Rome, we know that when they received this letter from Paul, they would have been greatly encouraged in the faith. And it came at a critical time, as I will share later in the message. Even today, this is the most extensive explanation of the gospel that we have in the Bible. And of course, um, today as we study it, <clears throat> we are going to see some of the reasons why. Martin Lloyd-Jones believes that it's placed first in the epistles, right after the history of the four gospels in the book of Acts, because Romans is the most important and, and clear explanation of the good news of the message that we Christians have to bear. And so I think that it's worth studying. As I'm preparing my messages in Romans, I want you to know I'm thinking about four kinds of people in our study. I'm thinking about, first of all, mature believers who want to deepen their faith. <clears throat> they want to know more than just Jesus died for my sins and that's it. They want to know what is the, the, the depth of the gospel, what is the, <clears throat> what are the root of it is all about. I'm also thinking of new believers who are, are just come to faith in the Lord, but they really want to get rooted deeply in their faith and understand what they believe. This book is for you. Also, I'm thinking of non-believers, people who have heard about Jesus all the time, uh, who, who want to know more about their faith, about this faith. So the non-Christian who is exploring Christianity, this is a great book to do so. And then also I'm thinking about wayward Christians or believers and those that are going to be, that have wandered from the faith and are going to be drawn back by the mercy of God, the sheer mercy that is extended to them even as prodigals. I'm thinking of those people as well. And so maybe you identify with one of those categories. My prayer is that as we study the book of Romans, not only will you benefit from it, 
that you might meet the Lord in a fresh way, that your heart might soar with the truths of God's mercy upon you and for you, but that also maybe God might put on your heart and my heart somebody else that I know, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, that is meant to also study this book with us. And you could study together, in fact. Next week, Doug, Pastor Doug, is going to be sharing with us some of the study notes that we're going to be posting every week with the sermon so that you can do deeper study of the scriptures that we're looking at. Well, this book of Romans has been used by God over the years for 2,000 years, ever since Paul wrote it. And I just want to recount a few ways that that it, that has happened, and you might have heard some of these stories before, but I think they're worthy of repeating. For example, we think of Saint Augustine of Hippo uh, in S- September of 386 A.D. <clears throat> in Milan, Italy, a professor of at the university there uh, is in a garden, and he is invited to just be there with his friend and. As he's sitting there, he listens and he hears a little girl singing in Latin. And she's singing. But he's sitting there grieving his sin. He's recognizing the wickedness of his heart. He had deep troubles with sexual sin in his life. And as he's sitting on that bench in the garden of his friend, he hears this little girl singing in Latin, Tole lege, tole lege. Take up the scroll and read. Take it up and read. And a, and a scroll of the book of Romans happens, happens to be seated on a bench nearby. He picks it up and he begins. He actually flips it open. He rolls it open. And he turns to chapter 13 of Romans, verse 13. The first words that he starts to see with his eyes are these words. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Not in strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. The man says later on, St. Augustine said this, No further would I read, nor did I need to, for instantly as the sentence ended, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as a light came in, security infused my heart, all of the gloom of doubt had vanished away. He had been born again. This is St. Augustine's testimony. Uh, Probably the most influential Christian in the first thousand years of church history. The one that was used by God to to refute the dangerous doctrine of Pelagianism in the the fourth century. Uh, This idea that original sin does not taint the human nature That somehow, without the help of God, we can, by our own moral effort, attain this perfection in the human body. This is what Pelagius taught. And, of course, St. Augustine turned to the book of Romans, as we're going to look at in the coming months, and understand what God has to teach about the human nature that we're born with. Well, let's fast forward several Years, in fact, over a thousand years to the year 1515, the month of November, an Augustinian monk is the, the, the professor of sacred theology at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. He's expounding on the book of Romans, but he doesn't even understand some of it himself. He kept tripping over certain phrases, and he, he tripped over this idea of the justification by faith 
The righteousness of God was a phrase that he really tripped over. What is the righteousness of God? What does it have to do with me? And Martin Luther uh, says this later on as he studied. He said, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. Nothing stood in the way except this one expression, the righteousness of God. Night and day I pondered it until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself, he says, to be reborn. Martin Luther. And of course he became the father of the Protestant Reformation. Skip forward a few centuries more. And we meet up with John Wesley, an ordained minister of the Church of England. On May 24, 1738, he reluctantly went to an evening where um, there was an expounding upon of the preface of Martin Luther's work on Romans. He thought it would be boring, but he went. And as he listened and understood more and more of what Paul was teaching to us through Martin Luther in his preface to his book on Romans. He says this in his journal, after about a quarter to nine that evening, well, he was describing the change which God works in the heart of us through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed, and I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. An assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley, whose, whose uh, work uh, began the Methodist movement along with his brother Charles and uh, was instrumental in the Great Awakening in the 18th century. And we could go on to talk about other people like John Bunyan, the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, who also was converted in a Bedford jail through the Book of Romans and so on. Well, let's take a look at the opening verses as we consider these the way that Paul introduces this book, this letter. And um, really, we need to remember that Paul is unknown by most of the believers that he's writing to in Romans. So he has to establish his credibility. He begins by introducing first himself, then the message of the gospel that he brings, and then thirdly, the message's uh, focal point, who is Jesus Christ So let's begin by talking about how Paul introduces himself. Now, if you're introducing yourself to someone that you don't know and that doesn't know you, what do you usually start with? I notice that in our culture, in our ways, we we seem to start by introducing ourselves by telling someone what we do or where we work rather than who we are. It's interesting. And... Introductions are, are interesting to listen to because they tell us probably what we depend on to give us some significance, to make us feel like we matter, to, to see where our meaning or our identity comes from. And so we introduce ourselves with that. And certainly, if you have some areas that you're not really that proud of, if, you'd, if there's some things about you that are not so flattering, you don't put them on the front end of your introduction. You might end up telling them about that after you've already been 
introduced. So the, the least part of us, the lowest part, is the stuff we save for the last. And um, Paul introduces himself in that manner as well. And he introduces himself to start with by saying that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. Now you'd think that that's sort of, sort of putting the last thing up front, but for him, that was the most important thing. Paul said, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. He wanted the Romans to know that that was the most important thing that he built his identity on. That's the most important thing that gave him meaning was that he was a servant of Christ Jesus. He could have said a lot more to the Romans, like he did in Philippians when he kind of goes through his credentials in chapter 3, circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee in the law, persecutor of the church, righteousness, blameless, and so on and so forth. Even there he clarifies, he, he, he says all of that to simply say, and all of that I count but loss if I might gain Christ. See, Paul was always true north toward Christ. In fact, Paul, as we see in Philippians 3, measured his life more by his gaining Christ than losing something else. We should probably think about that in the new year, that we should measure our lives by what we have gained because of God's mercy than the things we might have lost because of any circumstantial and earthly things that come against us. After mentioning that he is a servant of Jesus Christ, Paul writes that he's called to be an apostle. Actually, it's the called apostle, he says. He's a called apostle. And it's not saying that he's called an apostle. He's a called apostle. That means that he is one who was called to be an apostle. And that was very important for Paul because, as we know, throughout his, his time as an apostle, there were many that undermined him, that said he wasn't a true apostle. So almost every letter he has to defend that Jesus Christ called him to be an apostle. He was untimely born. He saw Jesus after the resurrection, but he saw him and was called by him. And so it was a very important credential for Paul because he represented God in the gospel that he was sharing. Paul did not use the word apostle as a head trip, as a pride thing. He was calling himself an apostle because he wanted the Roman church to hear the apostolic teaching that, that he had received from Jesus Christ. Secondly, we see how Paul introduces his message, the gospel of Christ. And he introduces us to the gospel, this word euangelion in Greek, which is used actually 60 times in the book of Romans, 60 times. Five times in verses 1 to 17, Paul talks about the gospel. And next week, we're going to unpack it even further as we talk. But the first thing that Paul says about the gospel, the good news, the message of Christ, is that it's God's gospel which is an interesting way of describing it. It says, set apart for the gospel of God. It's God's gospel. Now, this is interesting because the word gospel was a common Greek word that emperors used to announce the good news of something in the empire. For example, good news, good news, the emperor's wife has had a son, and it would unite the empire. Oh, yay for the emperor. 
Well, this is not some kind of a political message that Paul is making. Paul is taking a word and saying, this is God's gospel. This is God's good news. There's nothing more important than God's good news. Secondly, he says it's a promised gospel. Verse 2, he says, which God promised beforehand. He did it through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. He's saying, I'm not bringing you some new idea. I'm not bringing you my own invention. I'm not bringing you something that is a fad or, or some cultic invention. I'm bringing you something that God promised in ages past through the prophets. It's all recorded in Holy Scripture if you'll read your Old Testament. I am bringing you God's promised gospel, the good news that he had told you about a long time ago. Did you know that in the Old Testament there's an estimated 332 prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus Christ? And that almost all of them were fulfilled in Christ's first coming as a baby and then through his death and resurrection. Incredible scriptures that are fulfilled. Paul is saying it's, a, it's God's gospel, it's a promised gospel, but it's also a gospel that is concerning his son. That's the most important part of the good news, the Christian message, is that it concerns Christ. Christian message is that God's Son is at the center of it. We Christians don't have anything more important to talk about than Jesus. We don't have anything more worthy to announce to the world than Jesus. He is what makes the church vital and relevant in this earth. We might get involved in all kinds of other things, but what the church really has been given to steward is the message of the gospel, which is concerning the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And because Christ is the center of the gospel message, it is our center as well. One author said this, that the gospel is at the heart of the Bible. Everything in the Scripture is either preparation for, presentation of, or participation in the gospel. This is what the Bible throbs with. This is what should be making our hearts beat as well, is the good news of Jesus. Oh, we want, in 2021, we want new people to come to know Jesus in a new and fresh way. And so that's the message that Paul says. He's a servant of Christ, and because the message Paul was given is concerning God's Son, he moves on to introduce us to God's Son now, Jesus Christ. He's telling these Roman believers that don't know him, this is who I am, this is what I preach, and this is the one I preach, Jesus Christ. So if you want to read on, he says, this is what it's all about, this book of Romans. And um, let's see what he says about Jesus. Who is the Jesus that Paul preached? Verse 3 it says that he was descended from David according to the flesh. This was important that indeed the, the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph, was a direct descendant of David. And all the promises that were given to King David apply to Jesus. Verse 4, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of, from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so in his introduction, these heavy-weighted terms that Paul has used are brilliantly describing what they need to understand about Jesus in order to be Christian. And look at the logic <clears throat> that he's, he's masterfully communicated. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, 
was both human and divine. He is the Son of Man, and He is the Son of God. Paul's also clarified that that it is the death and resurrection of Christ that makes Him stand out as being worthy of being called Lord. It is an incredible logic in these introductory words that we must not allow escape us. The credibility of Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, depends on the message of Paul. The credibility of the message of Paul depends on the center point of that message, who is Christ. The credibility of the message about Christ depends on what is said of Jesus Christ. He was prophesied in the Old Testament. He was a descendant of David. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. He is the one who died and was raised to new life. And he is the one who alone is worthy of the word Lord, who alone is able to forgive sinners and declare them righteous in the sight of holy God. In just a few words, packing a punch, Paul has introduced the most important things about himself, his message, and the Lord Jesus that he is serving. And so that is the way Paul establishes his credibility and then it's almost as though he's saying, now, now, Roman believers, when you're reading this letter, if you want to read on now, look at what he says in verse 5. He says, now, in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you, he says, you Romans, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has built his foundation to have a ministry within the Roman church. Paul has built his foundation on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He has defended his apostolic ministry built on this foundation. His authority to call people to the obedience of faith is built on this foundation. His worldwide appeal in all of the Roman Empire and beyond to all ethnos, all ethnicities, all people of the world, he's built his foundation on this. We must remember that that the time that Paul's writing, the, the, the extent of the Roman Empire was from Asia Minor to England, his vast empire of Rome. And he is writing this letter to the very capital of this vast empire to the group of believers, that small group of believers that met there. And probably was already beginning to face some persecution, already had started to suffer. We know that this time was when Nero was the emperor in Rome, and we know of something that occurred in 64 AD, which was of great significance for the Christians. Remember, if Paul is writing in around 58 AD, then it's just within a few years before the great fire in Rome in 64 AD. In July of 64 AD, there came a, a fire, probably started in the shops around the stadium, which was called the the Chariot Stadium in Rome. And uh, historians describe the perimeter of the entire stadium 
as built with shanty alleyways and all wooden structures of the poor that were merchants selling to those that came to the games. If you can imagine just street upon street and alleyway built with shanty lean-tos of, of shacks and wood. And it said that some, they think that according to the historian Tacitus, the fire began in, in that area outside of the chariot stadium. It took six days to bring the fire under control, and in that time, two-thirds of Rome was destroyed. Now, what is the emperor Nero going to do about this? Some, some historians believe that Nero was somehow responsible for the fires. We're not certain of that. But one thing we do know is that he turned it around and he turned it on the Christian community and he blamed them for the fires in Rome in 64 AD. And that resulted in a lot of persecution against the Christians. Many <clears throat> in the years following um, died in, in horrific ways as they were persecuted under Nero and they were martyred for their faith. You know, it's interesting how just one year can change history so much. We don't know what the coming decade will bring. The past year has shown us how uncertain the things of this world are. In Nero's time, it just was one event, this fire in 64 AD, that turned the public opinion against the Christians. And they became the scapegoats for many things they had nothing to do with. We don't know what the coming decade will bring. False reports and lies and things that could be blamed against Christians. But whether that happens or not, the message of the book of Romans is a message that is extended to the world because the world needs Jesus. The world needs to know that there is a way back to God that God has himself provided through his son, Jesus Christ. And that they had, in those days, even in the midst of persecution, a living hope, even as we today <clears throat> have a living hope as well. Peter writes about that in chapter 1 of his first letter when he says that we who have been born again, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Brothers and sisters and anyone who is following along on this uh, broadcast, that uh, we're going to take some time now in this service to observe the Lord's Supper because we want to do in obedience to what Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to take some bread and cup, and we're going to partake of the Lord's meal. And uh, it is a reminder every time we do of the living hope that we have, that because of the good news that we have responded to by faith in Jesus Christ, we can have the assurance of a living hope that is waiting for us as well. And so just now as we are about to sing, uh, I'm encouraging you to go to the kitchen to get some bread or crackers and and uh, get something to drink, and, and let's just in a few minutes share this meal together. Amen. Amen. You know, when I 
come to this table in this big empty room, I have to remind myself during this whole song as we've been singing, I've been imagining all the people that are, are normally here, but also a lot of the people that, that we've kind of come to know a little bit, some of them through, through uh, these last months of the pandemic. And I imagine us that, yes, we're not physically here together, but spiritually we are around the throne in heaven. We're, we're around the throne of the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. And so together, even as you have perhaps gotten some bread and some cup, would you join me now and join us in partaking of this Lord's meal. Let's give thanks for it first. Lord Jesus, you call us into fellowship with you, an, an act of mercy and kindness untold of in any, any other place in, the, in our lives. Lord, you, the living God, call us out of being enemies into being friends. And you made a way possible for that to happen by taking our sin upon the cross. Lord, your body that hung there, your blood that was shed there, was in place of us and for us, to redeem us, to purify us as a people of your own possession, to wash away our sins and to give us eternal life, a blessed and living hope that after this life is done, Lord, we will be forever with you. But even in this life, we get to live with you now and experience your grace now. Jesus, may we walk with you now. Thank you for the cup and the bread, a reminder of what you did in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever you are on earth, would you now take the bread and receive it as the broken body of Jesus Christ for our sins, and would you drink the cup and receive it as a, a token of the blood that he shed for our sins. Amen. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God bless you. Lord God, as we have heard your word this morning, as we've sung these words together from wherever we are this morning, as we've taken the bread and the cup and remembered what you have done through your son Jesus, we bask in how good you are to us. Thank you, Lord, for the good news of Jesus Christ that has called us and has saved us and has freed us. And I pray for us as your church that you would continue to give us a deepening amazement and love and gratitude for what you've given us in Christ. I thank you for giving us a glimpse of that this morning again. And I pray also that this would be a year where your name is exalted more and more by this church family, for your glory, for the sake of your kingdom, that others might know freedom and joy, 
now and forever. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.